Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Morning, church. As Matt just said, we're in this series looking at the shadows of how Jesus can be seen in the Old Testament, whether it's an appearance or whether it's the truth of Jesus or the promise of Jesus. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name's Mark, and we're glad you're with us. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here. And uh, in this series, we've learned a few things about how God's plan was not that there'd be an Old Testament mistake and a New Testament correction. What we want you to see in the shadow series is that God has been working in the same direction from day one. And that is to be the God who provides for us everything we need. In week one, we looked at a 90-year-old woman who was told she was going to have a child. She laughed at God, yet God's promise brought laughter of joy from her when she did conceive and give birth to Isaac. In week two, uh, we looked at a man who wrestled and connived for everything he could get. And uh, wrestling with God, he limped away, but he had a greater understanding of God. And by losing, he actually won. In week three, last week, we looked at a brother's forgiveness uh, toward his uh, 11 brother, 10 brothers who betrayed him, and how his forgiveness of them delivered them and provided them a future when they denied him the same. So today we're going to look, as Matt said, as two women, uh, a story that may appear to some of us to wonder why uh, it's even in the scriptures, but I want to tell you that in this story of Ruth, are three redeemers. And when we find the three redeemers, we understand the story of Ruth. So what we're going to do today is just walk through the text, and I'm going to tell you the story, and we're going to look at some key passages in it and learn to see Jesus in the midst of this story of these two women. The first woman I want to introduce you to is a woman named Naomi. Uh, She's a Jew, and she and her husband uh, lived uh, in Israel, and they had to sell their property because of a famine, And they moved to the land of Moab. Now, Moab was the arch enemy of the Hebrew people. So they had to sell their property because of the famine. And because they couldn't catch a break, they had to go live where there was grain. And they moved with their two sons to the land of Moab. And they, uh, the two sons married two women named Orpha and Ruth. And as they lived in this land, trying to make ends meet, this family of six... Uh, something tragically happens, not all at one time, but Naomi loses her husband and both of her sons to death, leaving three widows behind. And in the culture of that particular day, that wasn't promising. There were some, some options that they had, but it was, it was going to be hard. And Naomi becomes embittered over this. She realizes that there's no future. There's no land to go back to. They sold their land because of the famine. She has no husband. She has no boys to care for her. Her life is incredibly desperate. So she tells her two daughter-in-laws, who are Moabites, stay here, go back to your families, they'll provide for you, I will be on my own. And she had very few options. How would she survive? How would a woman survive in that day? Well, there are four options, and let me show you why none of them worked for her. First of all, she could go work in the fields. And I'll explain why that was possible. She could go become a laborer and, and just make enough food and, and uh, provisions to survive, but she was old. And the chances of her being a laborer that would be hired by people back in her home country was very minimal. She could get married 
And you might think yes. Like in, in our culture today, if, if a widower and a widow uh, gather together and they want companionship, they might get married and live together and, until the end of their days. And, and we would look at that and say, that's sweet. But that didn't happen in that culture. They didn't get married for companionship. They got married to produce offspring. She was too old for that. And I know you could say, well, but remember back to the story. Well, unless God tells you at 90 you're going to get pregnant, chances are you're not. Fair enough. So she's not, Naomi's not sitting around waiting to have a child. Her children was the four, th- third option, rather, of the four that she could have, as their children could support her, but I've already told you both of her sons are dead, and there's no one there for her. She could rent her land for income. So here were her options. Go back and work, too old. Have a child, too old and no husband. Let your children raise you, they're dead. Go back to your land, sold it. This is a desperate condition this woman's in. So desperate, in fact, that when you read the story of Ruth, the the book of Ruth, what you'll discover is this. She goes back and her friends say, Naomi, and her name means pleasant. They say, Naomi, it's so good to see you. And she says, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She comes back and they're like, hey, it's good to see you. And she goes, no, it's not. Every dream I've had, my family, everything I've ever had in this life, I've lost it. My life is hard and I'm bitter. So she's a buzzkill, isn't she? She comes right back. And when I used to read this story, I thought, oh, come on. And then I realized, no, no, she's actually telling the truth. She's coming back and saying, my life is nothing what I wanted it to be. And she's broken. No family, no land, no name, and thusly no hope. But at the end of her story, which Matt read for us, at the end of her story, there's a celebration. How can you get a celebration out of such a despondent condition? Because there are three redeemers in this story. In fact, most of your translations of the Bibles you have in front of you say kinsman redeemer. Which is an interesting term that I'd like to be able to explain because it'll make sense of all of this. You see, when, when Moses led the people out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. As he was leading them, God met with Moses and gave him what we call the Levitical law. Now, for many of us growing up here in America, you might think that a law is restrictive. But actually, the law of God was to help them survive. It was to teach them how to live. It was to give them all the hope that they needed. So in this moment that the law was given, there was a part of the law that when they got into the promised land, God would divide the land that he gave them on the other side of the Jordan River. He would give them this land, and it would be divided into 12 pieces for the 12 tribes of Israel. But God knew that there would be moments in time where some of those people would probably have to sell their land to survive. And so God created this thing called the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, 5-0, every 50 years, the land would return back to the original family. And all loans were canceled, all debts were canceled and taken care of. Every 50 years, God would reset the land back to the 12 tribes that he gave it to. And that was understood, the year of Jubilee. But what happened, because 50 years is a long time, a generation at least, what would happen if tough times came on you and you had to sell your land? Where, what would you do? Where would you live? Another provision that God put in for his people is that if a kinsman, a blood relative, would pay off your debt, they could purchase the land for you as a gracious gift. It would be their land until the year of Jubilee, and then it would go back to your family. But they would let you live on it. So does that make sense? This is the context and background of the story. She sold her property. It's not the year of Jubilee. She's got nowhere to go back to. She needs somebody. Her only hope is that some family member steps up 
and buys her land back for her. So now we go back to our story. Naomi's got to head home. She has nowhere else to live. She says to Orpha and she says to Ruth, you guys go back to your family. Go back to your fathers. Go back to your brothers. They'll give you food. They'll give you protection. You'll find another husband. You'll have children. Your life will be fine. Now, without judgment, I want us to be clear on this. Without judgment, Orpha takes that. She goes back home. But Ruth doesn't. Ruth does something very, very unique, which we'll talk about in just a few moments. Ruth decides, now I'm going to go home with you. I'm, you're my family. I'm going to take care of you. She's showing us that there's something about Ruth that's unique. So I want to show you the three redeemers in the story. Introduce them all to you so you can see why the book of Ruth is in our scriptures and what it says about God's plan for us. Let's look at the first one, the gracious redeemer. The first person I want to identify, I want to call him the gracious redeemer. What he does, he doesn't have to. His name is Boaz. Boaz is a very prominent figure in the Old Testament. Not famous, but prominent. You see, Boaz has fields. Part of God's provisions for his people was that if you had crops, let's say you, were, you had barley, that you would not allow, or you would go through in the outer edge of your field, you would not harvest. You would leave it there for the poor in the community. God said, take care of those who are disadvantaged. Take care of those who are starving and hurting. So they would leave the outer limits or the outer ring of their property for people to harvest. And one day, Ruth goes out on behalf of, she and Naomi, they need food. She knows the laws of the land. And Naomi says, go glean from these outer edges of these fields. It's okay. Well, when she goes out there, Boaz, the owner of the field, notices her. First of all, she's a Moabite. She's in danger. The same ethnic issues that exist in our culture existed back then. A foreigner was taking food from those who could have used it within the Hebrew nation. There's a problem. Boaz sees this attractive woman out there gleaning, and he says to her, you're not safe if you do this in other fields. Stay at my fields. I will tell my workmen not to touch you or harm you. Because she was an unprotected woman, especially a foreigner, she would have been at great risk to be uh, raped or abused by the workers. So Boaz gets his men together and he says, you protect this young lady. You don't let anything happen to her because if it does, I'm coming after you. And so she has this food. She takes this food home to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Naomi says, wow, you just didn't get enough for today. This, this guy hooked you up. She went home with a basket. Naomi says, what was his name? And Ruth says, his name was Boaz. And Naomi says, he's family. He's blood. He's a kinsman. And so she's, they look at each other and she says, he's taken a liking to you. He's protecting you. This is what we needed. We needed the Lord to provide something like for us. And Boaz was the case. And then they do something. Now, you may call it manipulative. I don't think so. I think it's uh, the plot thickens pretty much. What happens here is they look at each other and go, if he's going to be this nice to you, then let's take advantage of that. So one night... While he's in the granary sleeping, and that may sound strange to us, but when they brought in the harvest, they weren't just going to lock it up and go home. They lived in those fields, and he would have wanted to protect what they just took out of the field from anyone coming in and stealing it. So he's sleeping in the granary, and Ruth goes in the middle of the night, and while he's sleeping there, she goes in and lays around his feet, giving warmth to his feet. Isn't that romantic? (laughs) I tried that move last night on Heather. She had nothing to do with it. She (laughs) wouldn't even talk to me. You wish. And so, so anyway, as she lays there, he wakes up and he sees this beautiful woman 
sitting there wrapped around his feet to keep him warm. And she says, just makes a statement to him. She says, cover me with your garment, which is a Hebrew idiom that says, take me into your home. Make me your wife. And Boaz, he does. You see, it's, this is a risk for Boaz. This is why it's gracious what he did. For him to do what he would have to do to provide for Naomi and Ruth, he would have to pay an enormous debt to get their land back. And the land wouldn't become his, it would become theirs. So he's got to be gracious enough to spend what he has, his collateral, for their benefit. And second of all, there's nobody to pass the land on to. Even if he gives the land back to Naomi, she has no uh, son to take over the property when she's gone. It would be wasted energy. And then the law provided that the only way this could work is Boaz would have to marry Naomi. And by marrying her, they would have to have a child. But let's go back to what I told you previously. That's not happening. So Naomi and Ruth said, I know how this works. Naomi's smart. She says, let him marry you and you can have my child and it will go to our family. And the child that you have will come under my son's name and the land will be restored. And, and Boaz is game. He's absolutely, and he takes Ruth and he marries her. He's the gracious redeemer. Got back the land, gave her a name, restored everything she lost. But let me tell you about the, another redeemer in the story. How about the sacrificial redeemer? We have the gracious one. Now let's look at the sacrificial one. I'll be honest with you, in the years that I read Ruth or even took it in Bible college and we studied the Old Testament pattern, I never would have seen this until it was pointed out to me in some of my research. And Dr. Timothy Keller has the best line about this. He said, most of us miss Ruth as one of the redeemers in the story. And he said, we make Boaz the hero. But if Boaz was the hero, wouldn't it be called the book of Boaz? I was like, good point. It's the book of Ruth. Why? Because she's the sacrificial redeemer. Here's why. The name of, the, of this sacrificial redeemer is, is Ruth, and here's why. Because if she would have gone back to Moab, she would have survived and done great herself. But instead, she goes with her mother-in-law, who's not really even her mother-in-law now. And she goes into a land where she's hated. And she goes in as a, sing, or as a single woman now without a husband. She's unprotected. And she goes simply knowing that this is going to be a hard deal. She knows it's going to be difficult. Look at Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 with me. Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I go. I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Now, I want to point out something here, just a moment about when she says, your God is my God. She doesn't use the word Elohim, which would be what we would call in English, just small g God. She uses the word Yahweh, the personal name of God. She says, your Yahweh, your personal God is my personal God. Verse 17, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. This is Ruth's confession that she knows going with Naomi is going to cost her everything. But for Naomi to have a life going forward, Ruth has to risk her life. Church, are you with me here? For Naomi to survive, Ruth has to give up everything that would help her survive. And she says to her mother-in-law, I'm going to go back and take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to go back and redeem this story with you. And it's going to cost me every bit of security I have in life. 
If you haven't noticed during the shadow series, God expects delivered people to deliver. And in this story, we have a sacrificial gift. She says, may the Lord deal with me severely if I don't sacrifice my life for you. I must risk my life on the God I know. You see, what Ruth saw in Naomi was a real God, someone to be trusted. So she said, may God deal with me. She didn't say, Naomi, will you deal with me or will the public deal with me or will my friends deal with me? She said, no, will God deal with me? She knew this God was real because she'd witnessed it in Naomi's life. So she said, I wanna go where there's a real God who's alive and serving and I will sacrifice my future and I'll sacrifice my comfort and I'll sacrifice the right now for the promise that God will provide. See, what I want you to see here is in verse 15, it says, because your daughter-in-law loves you. So you see, the, the love that they had between each other allowed her to sacrifice. And we know how this works. How many of us as parents have had to make that choice? For my children to have what I want them to have and to experience what I want them to experience and to protect them from the things I want to protect them from, I am going to sacrifice my freedom. I'm going to sacrifice my privilege. I'm going to sacrifice my finances. I'm going to sacrifice what God has allowed me to have so they can have what I desire them to have. You've been there, haven't you? And so maybe I'm talking to some in the room who have not been blessed with being a parent and that opens a wound in your heart. Then you had parents who did the same thing for you. All of us in one way or the other have experienced that to be able to give someone life, you sometimes have to restrict your own. Your own freedom and your own choices and and those things. You see, what I want us to do now is I want us to understand that there's another redeeming in this story. He's not named. Well, it kind of is, but then again, he isn't. It's the lasting redeemer. We have the gracious redeemer, Boaz, and we have the sacrificial redeemer in Ruth. But what about the lasting redeemer? Look at verses 14 and 15. Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. It's an interesting line in here because what happens is Ruth and Boaz get married and Ruth becomes pregnant. And she has a child. And his name is Obed. And the land is restored and the name is restored and the lineage is restored and everything that God promised has been restored. But that's not what they're talking about here, is it? Verses 14 and 15. He's not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. And you may say, yes, it was Obed because Obed does become famous. Obed has a son named Jesse and Jesse has a son. He has a bunch of kids. But he has one in particular by the name of David. And you know him as King David. And King David would be, would establish the throne in Israel that Jesus would one day come back and sit on. So was the fame of Obed true? Absolutely. But remember, we're in a shadow series. We're looking at moments in the Old Testament that are fully extrapolated on in the New Testament in Jesus. And he's the lasting redeemer. If Jesus had, would have just wanted to come to life and, or to, to earth and say, live a good life, he would have done it differently. But Jesus did something different. He went to the cross and he died on the cross for all of our sins so that the land that we gave up, for the future that we gave up, for the desperation that we existed in, he could redeem. Boaz could only redeem it for a generation. And, and Ruth could only redeem Naomi until her life ended. But when this child came, this child born in Bethlehem, This child that we beheld, 
This child redeemed everything forever. Are you with me, church? It wasn't just, I did a good thing in my lifetime. What Jesus did is he didn't come down and say, I'm going to teach you how to live a good life. He said, no, I'm going to take my good life and I'm going to give it all to you. And you, if you receive my life, it'll never end. And the cost of us receiving that life was the absolute gracious and sacrificial giving of his life to death. So you see, when you look at this, it doesn't matter what you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter how marginal you are. It doesn't matter how bitter you've become. The work that this baby brought, the answer and promise of this child cures every concern you have. Where Naomi thought my life is over and now I'm going to be a bitter old woman who dies a horrible existence. Now she was redeemed. She was redeemed by a family member and she was redeemed by her daughter-in-law. And then they gave her this baby. You see, Naomi had a baby, but she didn't. But she did. And that's as clear as mud, isn't it? You see, at this point in the shadow series you're probably going, somehow he's going to get it back to Jesus. Please understand, for every sermon that I haven't taken back to Jesus, I owe you an apology. This isn't common. You've probably heard it's a ridiculous story. It's not even worth telling the whole thing. But it's about the Sunday school teacher who has a bunch of boys who won't answer questions in her class. And she said, what's brown, has a big bushy tail, and stores nuts? Nobody answered. She looked at her class in disbelief. Finally, she said, does nobody know the answer? He goes, I think it's a squirrel, but it's probably Jesus. Many of you are there right now in this story. Okay, this is what he's been building up for. Absolutely, unashamedly, I have. Because here's what I want you to understand. They handed Naomi a baby that belonged to Ruth and Boaz. But that baby belonged to Naomi. See, she had a baby, but she didn't, but she did. When she held that baby, the promise of that baby was deliverance. The promise of that baby that she held that wasn't actually hers, but then again it was, was that the name of her son was given to that child and, and that land and that promise and that place in God's kingdom was restored. And Mary gave us a baby and his name was Jesus. And he wasn't ours, but then he was, and he is. And you say, but he's not really blood. Oh no, he's a kinsman redeemer. Because this child that Mary handed us, this beautiful, precious gift of life that didn't come to teach us just how to live well, but said, I will give my life up for you. I will pay the the exorbitant price. I will give you a name. I will give you a place. I will give you a land. That that Jesus, when he was presented to us, made us family. We are now sons and daughters of the father who's his father, our king. And in all of this, Naomi had a baby, but she didn't, but she did. And for many of us, there is a Savior. And he's made us blood. We're not really, but we are. You see, because Revelation tells me that Jesus came like a lamb, but when he returns, he'll come like a lion. And this little child that was given and the promise of the future that he would deliver, this child was given us, but this child became our king. This child revealed himself to be our savior and he paid the great kinsman redeemer price so that you and I, that everything life had stolen from us, he has restored. And one day he will come back, a name above all names, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he is exactly who he told us he was. So the story of Ruth is not just kind of a 
semi-lifetime movie of the week romantic thing. It's actually the story of sacrifice, of giving away our lives so others will know. See, many of you in this room can name a Boaz or a Naomi in your life. Somebody who by delivering you, somebody by who's sacrificing for you, someone by who cleared all of your debt, who cleared all of your angst, who cleared all of your, your fears, that these people came and delivered you by introducing you to the child that would come. So whether it's your Ruth or your Boaz, every one of us has someone we need to thank who delivered us, who showed us, who gave up their freedom and their right and their privilege so that you and I could have what we needed. Every one of us has been blessed, have we not? And the story of redemption continues on. The Old Testament was not a mistake that God fixed by starting a New Testament. Jesus and the promises of Christ from Genesis 3.15 all the way to the end of the book is found over and over and over. Our God delivers. There's victory in Jesus Christ and in nobody else. Nobody can do what he's done. Nobody could possibly do it. And he could. He could have walked away from it, but he chose to stay. There's victory in Jesus. He is our hope. He is our future. And that child born to Ruth became the great or became the grandfather of David. And David became the lineage by which Jesus would come, a greater David, a greater king, a greater kingdom, one that would never end. The victory we have is by our deliverer. The victory we share is how we offer that deliverance to one another. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.